please turn to Titus uh, chapter 1. I entitled the message tonight, Truth Always Accords with Godliness. Truth Always Accords with Godliness. God's truth. You know, God's truth accords with godliness. It always promotes godliness. And uh, verse 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now, Paul was a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, It says, according to God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, a bondservant is a servant. He he's sold out for his master and the work of ministry and Paul's life was very hard. You see, a lot of people get into ministry nowadays for notoriety, plods, you know, fame and power uh, you know, they want a big church and a big calling or for, they're in it for the perks. But Paul called himself a bondservant. You know, he was a slave for God. You know, I, I love what, you know, I was reading, listening to Pastor Chuck this week. And, you know, in one of the letters, he calls himself a prisoner of God. And he was writing this and he wrote himself a prisoner of God. And he was in a Roman prison. But he was God's man. He didn't feel himself in prison to Rome. He was the Lord's. He was there. He was a willing participant. And he was a bondservant. He worked hard. He was also an apostle. He was a messenger giving God's message to God's people. And you see, it's not the pastor's message. It's God's message that ministers to God's people. And number three, according to God's faith. Faith in God's elect. In other words, God chose Paul to be his mouthpiece. You know, one of the things, Paul was not one of the original 12 uh, disciples. So coming in, you know, Paul was called. And you know what? There was probably a lot of things going on. But God chose him to be his mouthpiece. He wrote most of the epistles in the New Testament. That was the Apostle Paul. And remember, God changed his life because he tried to destroy the church. You know, and we see his great conversion in, in, in Acts chapter 9. But he was God's chosen mouthpiece. But he acknowledged the acknowledgement of the truth that he shares always accords with godliness. God's message... God's truth in your life or to your life will bless you. If you let God's word word speak to you, he promotes godliness in your life. You see, God always has your best interest in mind. You could always. That's why we have to go to God every day and read God's word. Let him speak to you and he will transform you by the renewing of your mind and the outcome will, as you're yielding to him, you will be more godly. So let's look at verses two through three. He says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but, in, but has in due time manifested his word through his word, through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. You see, the enemy always wants to lie to us. You know, even our own flesh wants to lie to us. But here 
It says he, God offers us salvation and he offers us eternal life. God offers us eternal life. He has so much for us. And, you know, I, I think really, do we really receive all that have, that God has for us? You know, I, I'm sure there's there's more or I'm so busy or I'm so distracted. You know, as I was studying, you know, the phone was going off, texts going off. Something came to my mind and then I started texting and then music. I wanted to play music. I go to play music and then all of a sudden I see something. I'm like a little fish, man. I'm just like all over the place. And man, God wants to speak to us, but sometimes we just get so distracted. You know, God promises us so much. Number one, he promises us guidance through the teaching of his word. So we don't have to learn the hard way. You know, he wants us to learn by precept rather than hardship. He promises us that. You know, he will tell us the truth. And that should set in order things in our lives. Because as we progress here, we'll notice that there will be things that are lacking in our lives. And God will appoint leaders in your life to help you in that guidance as they give you the word. Our hope as Christians is eternal life. But it isn't just wistful thinking that we have this hope in eternal life. It says here, God promised to us. God promised us this. And he doesn't lie. And he promised this before, it says here, before time began. You see, God speaks clearly through his word. And we are given insight, it says here, through preaching and teaching. And it's the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 8, in verse 8, as it's the same thing that we're doing here. You know, they built a, a, a stage, they built a, a, a place where the minister would stand or sit and they would read directly from the word and then they would make the sense from it. They would dissect it. And so we're just doing the same thing. And God's word speaks through preaching and teaching. Those who preach and teach God's word have a sacred entrusted duty. Pray for pastors and teachers. They have a sacred and entrusted duty that was committed to them by a com the commandment of God, our Savior. You see, our prayer should be that we would be a grateful people to trust in God, that God would anoint his teachers, that they may give insight and clarity. And the, the ultimate thing with God's word is that we would obey God's word. You see, it's not just up to the pastor of what takes place here. It's your own heart. We need to obey the word of God. You see, God has entrusted us with his word to proclaim it. And to do so must take the, the utmost of care. Verse 4. Paul continues here and he tells Titus, To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace Mercy and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, one of the things that we have to really think about, it here it says, the common faith. You know, think, speci think specifically uh, it, what, it, what it means, the quality of, of our faith. The quality belongs... Our, 
that word means uh, a specific specificity. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just getting tongue tied. Um, right here is a quality of you uniquely being particular. So this is the word common faith. It, it means something that's special. That's not uncommon. The apostles were all on the same page when it came to faith. Faith in Christ, salvation, and so should we. You know, our common salvation, what we believe, we should all be on the same page. The, the, the word of God, it's common. And the apostles were all on the same page. You know, in describing salvation, in verse 3 of, of Jude, he says, Beloved, when I gave to diligence to write to you, Regarding our common salvation, it was needed for me to write to you to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. In other words, don't deviate from the, from the fundamental truths. And, you know, we can deviate from God's truth. A church can deviate from God's truth as we leave the word of God. And so many churches are not teaching the word of God. And, and the apostles were all on the same page. And so should we. We need to be a biblical people. We need to contend for the faith. We can't deviate from the fundamental truths. We also see this address in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The Bible says the early believers that they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and prayer and breaking of bread. And that is the model for the church. So we need to be careful because there are a lot of things that will draw us away from the truth of God's word. You know, we see it on the Internet. You know, we you know, we we have a lot of, of things and the enemy is always spinning lies. He sets traps and snares to mislead us and that through the vehicle of false teaching. We need to be men and women of the word. But here he calls Timothy a true son in the faith, a true son in the faith. So we got to ask ourselves. So, so he's the inference is he's a true son, but there are false sons. What makes us children of God? What makes a person coming to church a child of God? In John chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus said, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So we need to receive God as our Lord and Savior. We need to repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in him. That which makes us his children. But here it says that we're to give diligence to our faith. And we're to exhort others to do likewise. That, that is the goal of the church. We are to be diligent. We're not to be lazy in our faith. That means we are to be in the word and prayer and fellowship and breaking the bread. And you know what? Those things shouldn't be. We shouldn't be lazy in those things or sluggish in those things. But give diligence to your faith and the church and you're the church, each one of us. When we're all doing our part, it causes growth. So we're called to exhort others to do likewise. We're also called to contend for the faith by staying true to it. You know, we, we can be wavering this in a sea of false and misleading views about 
the word about God. So we're to continue steadfastly by living in it. Verse five says, for this reason. Now here, uh, Paul is giving us a little insight into why he's writing the letter here to uh, Titus. And it's important that we read these kind of texts. Uh, the reason why, because we, we have to see ourselves where we're at personally and where we're at as a church and how we do things. But here in verse 5, he gives us a little insight on the reason for the writing of the, this letter, which is called in a pastoral epistle. In verse 5, he said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. So Paul was concerned for the church as we should be concerned too. Who is the church? God's people. Now, Paul was concerned and he sent Tim, uh, Titus, uh, he left him in Crete that he should set in order the things that were lacking. And number two, that he would appoint elders in every city as he commanded them. And he says, for this reason, I left you in Crete ministering, serving the Lord, you know, and a lot of people have this idea that serving the Lord is about fulfilling my heart filled needs. You know, I'm called to serve God, but it's not that I won't do that or I won't do this. You see, Paul set Titus there to set in order the things that were lacking. That's what we're called to do. Whatever God needs me to do, that's what I do. You see, it's not about feeling what I think I'm called to do. It's doing what God needs me to do. It's about doing what God wants us to do. You see, in ministry, there's no room for my will. We, we need to remember the, the most important thing in accomplishing and building the church is God's will. I need to be doing God's will, not my will. It's not what I want to do. It's what God wants us to do as believers in building his church. Jesus in his teachings taught us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 and also Luke chapter 12, 11 verse 2. In reference to the Father, Jesus said... Your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, that should still be our, in our hearts. We should, we're called to be Christ-like. So we're not doing what I want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It should be our, our prayer. But not only did Jesus teach this, he also demonstrated this and modeled it for us. Remember when he prayed in the garden before going to the cross, he said to the father in Matthew chapter 26, verse 42, he says, nevertheless, your will be done. So in ministry and pray for the ministry, pray for those who serve. So in ministry, Jesus gave us an he, him and his own personal ministry. Jesus gave an absolute uh, absolute denial of his own will. In submission to what the Father expected of him in ministry. And that's what we need to do. We need to die to ourselves and submit to the Father. What do you want me to do, Lord? You know, Jesus was called to go to the cross. What would you have me do, Lord? You see, 
he served, Jesus served according to Scripture. He died to himself and he lived to the glory of the Father and we should do likewise. We're called to die to ourselves and live to God and be like Jesus. You know, may we be like-minded like Jesus, sincerely caring for God's flock. So pray for the leaders. But Paul told Titus that you should set in order the things that were lacking. Titus was called to set things in order. You see, the universe has order. Everything that God has created, everything has order. And even in the house of God, there should be order. In our homes, there should be order. The universe has order. It's not spinning around out of control. Our solar system is fine-tuned. Our sun and all our planets, the moon even functions orderly and not uncontrollably. When we look at the skies, we look in the skies and we observe the order functioning as God would have it. So if the world or the universe submits to God in all things, so should we. So should we. You know, listen to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. God said, let the lights, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and let them divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So the universe works in order and it works fine-tuned and it works together. There's no chaos there. But so too, the church... When we're fine-tuned, we're all working together, man, things work better. You know, our bodies are well-ordered. When something's wrong in our body, it's all messed up. Yes, there should be order in the church, and there should be order in the home. But here, Paul says the things that we're lacking. And the two things that we're lacking were, number one, spiritual leadership and maturity. Spiritual leadership and maturity. Two of the biggest things that are lacking in the church are spiritual maturity and availability. Spiritual maturity and availability. But he's saying, set these things in order. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, appoint leaders in every city as I commanded you. But biblically, like-minded ones... Those are the kind of leaders that Paul was talking about. Biblical mindseted leaders who care about the spiritual condition of God's people. You know, we see this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know, Paul cared about the state of God's people. You know, God calls us as leaders and pray for your leaders. And he looks for those who serve To do what God wants over their own wills, their own ambitions, and their own desires. We see this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 21. You see, God is calling leaders to be gospel-centered and in their vision. We see this in Philippians 2.22. God calls us as leaders to have proven character and to be flexible. You see, ministry doesn't always meet our expectations. It's not, it's not perfect. Ministry wasn't perfect for Paul. 
and, and the disciples. Do you know most of the disciples were martyred and they were killed for their faith? They were, it, it was difficult and it was hard. But they were flexible. Even Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 23, you know, he said, I therefore, he said, I therefore hope to send Timothy at once and I'll see how it goes with me. In other words, he wasn't sure, you know, he was, he was living by faith and things weren't always going right. You know, there were guys getting sick, you know, sometimes they couldn't go. Sometimes God said no, but one of the things God calls and we, when things get difficult, because in ministry, pray for the ministers because things do get difficult. And what happens a lot is when things get difficult, we tend to bail out. And we, we see here, Paul in Philippians chapter two and verse 26, that he doesn't give up when things were difficult. So God calls us, calls leaders to handle responsibility. He calls leaders to be trustworthy stewards or custodians and protectors and defenders to keep that which is sacred and precious. You know, so the leaders, we pray for the leaders. Why? Because God wants us to be responsible, trustworthy, good stewards, good custodians, protectors, defenders, and keepers of that which is both sacred and precious. You see, that's you. That's God's people. You're precious to God. You're precious. He values that much that he cares about the leadership. You see, the church, you are the bride of Christ. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 through 19, we're redeemed, the church is redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, from our aimless conduct, we're off base or received by the tradition of our fathers, but we're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, without spot. So God calls his servants to be faithful. So pray for our leaders that we're faithful. He, pray, he calls leaders to be humble, not self-centered, but other-centered, just like Jesus. That's what ministry if you want to be in ministry, it's not about being self-centered. It's being about Jesus-centered, other-centered. You know, Jeremiah had an assistant in Jeremiah uh, chapter 45, verse 5. He tells them, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. And so, you know, we should have a holy ambition. But, you know, pray that we're able to do the small things without complaining. You know, everybody wants to do big things for God, but nobody wants to do the small things for God. I remember back in, when we were in the theater, I remember one guy who was teaching. He said, man, you know, I really have a, I, I, I have a vision that God has called me to, to teach in a multitude situations, you know, with a multitude of people. But he didn't value the small things. He doesn't teach no more doesn't go to church anymore. See, that was in his heart. You see, God has called us to be faithful and humble and not self-centered and Christ-centered. We're not to seek great things for ourselves, but seek to glorify God. You see, 
we should, as Christians, be able to do small things without complaining. Jesus taught us that we are to be faithful and hardworking in the little things. We see this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 17, and also Matthew 25, verse uh, 14 through 30 in the parables. We're faithful in the little things, and God will, will add to those much. You know, pray about getting involved in ministry. You know, if God is calling you, get involved. You know, pray about doing the little things for the Lord. You don't have to be doing big things for the Lord. Do the little things. But let's look at the qualifications for leaders here in verses 6 through 9. Here, as we continue on in Titus chapter 1, he says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop or a pastor, minister, or leader, uh, must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast a faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. But here he's telling the leaders, the ministers that work to be blameless. And, and don't just take this. Look at the qualities and the traits and the characters that we should have a standard of leadership. And it isn't our standard. It's God's standard. This is God's standard of leadership. But I really believe this is speaking to us individually. I don't have to be a pastor to exhibit these qualities. And I should have these qualities in my life as a Christian. Here it's speaking to the men because it's speaking in the inference. It says the husband of one wife. But having his uh, children faithful, not accused of dissipation or overindulgence or insubordination or rebellion, rebelliousness. The word uh, in verse 7, bishop, is, is called to be blameless. And that word blameless means uh, unreprovable, meaning he cannot be called into an account. In other words, not being, listen to uh, Tita, uh, Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, gives us a little more clear detail into this about being blameless it says in first timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 it says moreover he must have a good testimony among those who are outside in other words it's not just the character in the church it's a character with non-believers you have to have a good reputation outside the church it says least he fall into the same reproach of the devil and again as i mentioned earlier you know, we're to be a steward of God, not self-willed. Ministry is not about self-centeredness of the minister, or it's not centered around the minister, but around Christ. You see, the word of God is a central point. God speaking, God's word, God glorified. And even our worship, it should be towards him. And, you know, many songs that we hear on the radio that pro profess to be worship are man-centered. You know, worship should be praise to God. It should be always in the direction to God, not to man. So ministry 
as God called us to do, is to be stewards of God. But here, look at the priorities. The priorities of a minister are, number one, the gospel. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, what is the gospel? We're sinners. The Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelations, we're sinners. We all fall short. We're undeserving. That's bad news because it's appointed for us to die once, then the judgment. That's bad news. That's, this is the gospel. So these are the things that we're, as a priority, we're sinners, we're undeserving, and we're going to have to stand before God on the day of judgment. But God, but God came down and put on skin, was tortured on our behalf. He died for our sins and he rose again the third day that as we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he comes into our life, we become born again and have new life and everlasting life and the promise of eternal life. That's the gospel. That should be our priority in our life as ministry. As a, as a Christian, the gospel, number one. Number two, the Great Commission. In, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And that word nations means ethnic, ethnic groups. Make disciples of all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Amen. So that's what God has called us to do. The gospel, the great commission, the work of ministry, the work of ministry. Here's what the work of ministry is. Ephesians chapter four and verse 12. This is what your pastors and teachers and leaders are supposed to do. Ephesians chapter four and verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you're called you're as ministers to equip the saints. You are to do the work of ministry. The pastor and teachers equip the body for the work of ministry and what happens? It edifies it, it lifts up the body. It causes us to grow. In the second part here in verse 7 scripture points out that there are red flags, potential problems in one's character. And he says here, which would be being tempted by vice, anger issues, money problems, greed, covetousness, which could also be a vice of, of stumbling. So look for those qualities, the Bible tells us. Don't appoint these people into ministry. Why? Because they have temper problems, they have vice issues, they have anger issues, and put them around money, they're going to be a problem. We saw this with Judas. That's why one of the things we are never alone with the money are the honeys. Don't be alone with the money, the honey. And, you know, if you're, you're in a place of standing before man, uh, don't don't rob God of his glory. So uh, here he gives us another a couple of uh, things to look at, a couple of red flags. Uh, you know, look for those who are not quick tempered. We're to look for those who are not quick tempered. You know, how do you know if somebody has a temper? You, you see them in a bad situation and see how they react. Not given to wine, not a drinker. You're called to ministry. Don't drink. Don't drink. Uh, not violent, not greedy for money. So good character. Um, God calls us 
cause those to have good character, uh, to help give the church members what guidance. He's called the leaders to give with good character to help the church members give them guidance. But also he tells them that we're to be hospitable. That means welcoming, generous, friendly, sociable, a lover of what is good. You know, and so many, you know, ministers are cold. And you know what? I've heard this before. You know, they're up there on the stage and they're all, man, I'm all nice and everything. But you go down there and they don't pay you. No, never mind. I've heard that. I heard that from about pastors. And I've heard that about worship teams. That we're all friendly up here, but we come down there and we don't pay you. No, never mind. That's not good. That's not a good testimony. But he's calling us to be hospitable, welcoming, generous, friendly, social, a lover of what is good. He says sober minded, having a sound mind, just, holy, self-controlled. And it says, verse nine, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. In other words, this, these men must be blameless, stewards of God, not self-willed, not quickly moved by their emotions, not carried about sinful vices of the flesh, but approachable. We're called to be approachable, lovers of what is good, sound in faith, self-controlled, just doing what is right by God's standards. By his word, God called us to be set apart, steady, sensible, consistent, dependable, and faithful, solid in our faith. And always, we have to be teachable, teachable, man. You know, you think you know it all and you're in ministry. You don't know it all. You know, that that's pride. You know, Paul, the, the apostle Paul says, I haven't attained yet. I'm not there yet. And Paul was a scholar. But, you know, he he focused back on Christ crucified. So when we're all doing our part in ministry, pray for those in ministry, you know. And pray that we're a teachable people, that we're blameless in character. You see. It will lift the church up. You see, you doing your part, every one of you is very important. Every one of you is very important. What you do either does this or this. We could bring people up or we could bring people down. And God called us to bring each other up. That's the role of the church. Who's the church? You're the church. You know, so be blameless. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. You know, let the Lord minister to your heart. And there's areas where it's not, you're not right. We need to get right. I know I'm, I'm on my knees back there praying before I get out. But in verse 10 through 16 says, for there are many insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, those whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of the, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. 
To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their own minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Wow, that's pretty heavy. But first he says here, for there are many, he says, many. Man, I I pray that we're not one of the many. You know, because, you know, we have, you know, a good group of so-called Christians. But he's saying there are many insubordinate. There are many insubordinate. Idol talkers, deceivers. And here he's speaking of the Jewish believers, of those of the circumcision. But this still applies today. Am I insubordinate? Am I an, uh, an idol talker? Am I, you know, being deceived or a deceiver? Insubordinate meaning unruly, unmanageable. In today's society, we live in an I rule mentality society. You know, even in the church, but in all things, God has given us order to live by, whether it be by work or sports or school or church or even in our own homes, there is order. I need to be subordinate to what God wants me to be as a husband, as a wife, as as a teacher, as a student, as a pastor, as a leader, as a worship leader. You know, I need to be in submission to what God wants me to do that both in, you know, inwardly and outwardly. You know, God calls us to be in submission like like creation. It's all in order. It all works good together because it's in order and so too the church you know when we are all working together we work better so in these things you know work sports school church and even our own homes we have some kind of order but in these things do we send render to god's will and god's authority you see, we need to take an inward look and showing, am I showing signs of being an insubordinate Christian? Am I showing signs of being an insubordinate Christian? I'd say in partly, yes. You know, we must check our hearts often, when it, especially when it comes to our attitude. You know, we might do something we're asked to do, but inwardly, we really don't want to do it. We have an insubordinate, rebellious heart. You know, we struggle with this all the time. You know, we got to ask ourselves, do we exhibit a life that is perfectly submitted to God in order? And I have to say no. You see, we're also often tested, whether it be in the home or at our work or even in our church, like it or not, insubordination is a sign of a form of rebellion. And you see, rebellion is not a good thing. You see, remember the roots of insubordination and rebellion goes back to the garden. You know, don't eat that fruit. Might not be thinking it's a big deal. They didn't think it was a big deal. Sometimes we have little pet sins and we think they're no big deal. They're a big deal. Look what disobeying God did to this world. Every evil thing, every wicked thing, every hurtful and harmful thing that we see is a result of that action. Eternal consequences. 
Remember, the roots of rebellion go back to the garden. But it's always preceded with self-deception. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You can get away with it. It's not a big deal. Like I mentioned on Wednesday evening study, the Lord, we have to ask the Lord to check our hearts that we would not be deceived and that God would transform us and conform us by his word to be more like him, to be more like Jesus in thought, word, and deed. You know, we're to pray that we would give him honor in everything that we say and do as Christians, that we wouldn't be known as insubordinate people. And things will work better for us in our homes and our responsibilities and in the church and in all things when we're in total submission to where God wants me positionally and inwardly in the heart. But here the Bible mentions idle talkers. But what does that mean? It means worthless, pointless and senseless, vain talkers, one who just utters empty Uh, senseless things. In other words, our words matter to God. Our words matter to God. How we use our words matter to God. You know, James tells us in James chapter 3 and verse 9 through 10, in other words, the things that roll off our tongue, you know, with it, we bless God. You know, we praise God. We sing these beautiful worship songs. But with it, James says we curse man. We gossip about people who've been made in the likeness of God. And he says these things shouldn't take place in our lives. Am I being submissive to the Lord? We really need to be careful how we treat people and what we say. Because our words leave a lasting impression on the hearers. People are important. See, the Bible tells us to redeem the time. Life is a vapor and it's appointed for man to die once. Then the judgment. We see this in Psalms chapter 39, 5, James chapter 4 and verse 14 and Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. So let's be careful with our words and our works. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, But I say to you that every idle word that men speak, they will give an account for it on the day of judgment. I love what the psalmist prayed in Psalms 19, verse 14. He said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. So pray that our words and our works would glorify God. And that our hearts would not be rebellious, that we wouldn't be insubordinate. We wouldn't be idle talkers. We would be cautious with our words. But here the next, the the, the Bible warns us about deceivers in the last days. And this word deceiver is a mind seducer. The goal is to mislead you. From Genesis to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we see our enemy doesn't give up and his goal is to take as many of us with him into the lake of fire. So God tells us to beware. In verse 11, he says, some people's mouths must be stopped. Why? They subvert whole households. 
Man, they wreck people's faith. And I've seen it here. I, we've had to ask people to leave because of what they're teaching. I've seen you know, men who love God, who they're talking to, they got subverted and they're no longer walking with God. But character matters to God. So in closing, you know, we see some bad character, lying, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. These are not good traits. You know, putting up the commandments of men and are, are just, you know, giving into fables. We need to be in the word because it's pure. It's, it's, it's good. But the very sad thing, and I think the saddest thing, is what we see here in verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. How does this apply to you? You know, are there things in your life that are unbecoming as a Christian? I really believe that that Paul, the Lord put this here so that we could check our hearts. That we could check the ministry. How are we doing? But is God calling you? Is God calling you? Because it doesn't leave us there in bad character. You know, here he, he said, rebuke them sharply. That they may come to, to faith. That there would be a turning. Is God calling you to ministry? You know, you, 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 need, you need to yield to God. You know, are you doing what he's called you to do? How's your character? How's your character traits? You know, I, I, I was playing the guitar last night in closing. I was playing the guitar last night for, here for uh, prayer. And I tuned it up and it sounded, it sounded really nice. I love my guitar. And then, you know, I, I put it down. I leave it on that chair on, you know, I, we get out of here almost nine o'clock. I put on that chair and I came in here this afternoon this evening, right before uh, the study started, and Kenny handed me the guitar, and I and I got it, and I and I started to strum it, and man, it sounded horrible. You know, it wasn't because of my skills; it was out of tune. And you know what? We could get out of tune that easy. You know, it was the elements of the cold that made it it made it, um, it tweak a little bit, and so the elements, this world can get us out of tune. And so if you're out of tune this evening, you know, you need to pray, Lord, forgive me. Help me. Get me back on or tune me up, Lord. May, you know, may I not sound sour. May I not be sour and, and, and just awful sounding. Lord, may I be beautiful in your hands. And Lord, you know, you just see what a beautiful musician, you know, a musician does to a guitar that's tuned. It sounds so beautiful because the strings are, everything's in order. It's all just right. And it sounds beautiful. And that's us in the hands of the Lord. Are we right? Do we need to get tuned up? And I, I really believe the word of God does this. And we just, you know, those little knobs at the end, of the, they just submit to the person tuning it. And that's our lives to God. We just need to submit to God and let him tune us by the word. We need to recognize where we're at, look in the word and say, Lord, I'm off here. I'm off here. I'm good here. Help me here. But pray for the leaders of the church. Pray that God would just uh, baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, 
Our lives need to match up with Scripture. But you see, with man, this is impossible. We can't be what we want to be just by our own flesh or just wanting to do. We need the work of the Holy Spirit, each one of us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Titus, Lord. It gives us truth, Lord, which accords with godliness, Lord. We pray for the church, Lord, that we would walk in the truth, that we would walk in your ways, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that you have said in order things that are lacking here in the church and the ministry, Father. Father, we pray, Lord, that you'd appoint the right people in the right places for the coming year, Lord. We want to do a lot of neat things, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that you would set the right people, true sons and daughters, in the right roles and responsibility with the right heart, Lord. Father, that we would, as leaders, be blameless, Lord, and faithful. And, Father, that we would we would exhibit these beautiful qualities, Lord. And, Father, those unbecoming things in our heart, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would purge them out, Lord, that you would do a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we wouldn't be seen by the world as insubordinate people, but that we'd have a good testimony, not only in the church, but those who are outside, Lord. So do a supernatural work of your Spirit in and through your church, Father, we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Brother Phil's coming out.